If you're a visitor with us today, you're our special guest and just let you know we've been preaching through this wonderful, wonderful gospel. This morning, we want to look at the priorities of ministry. And we see these priorities reflected in our passage today. Let me begin by having a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege of preaching your word today. God, we pray that you would be in this place. God, that your spirit would move and work among us and in us, Father, for your glory. God, we pray that you would open our eyes to the beauty of your word. Father, we pray that you would feed us from your word today, that you would challenge us. Father, that your Holy Spirit would guide us and teach us and lead us, Father, for your glory. Thank you for the worship and song we've already enjoyed and expressed. Pray that our worship has been pleasing in your sight and pray now that the teaching and preaching of your word would also bring glory to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Priorities in ministry. You know, I became a Christian, came to Christ in 1975 and was immediately discipled by a man on campus with a campus ministry. And, and he began to teach me and train me in ministry. And so my ministry really started as a freshman at the University of Alabama and began to disciple other players that on the football team and other students and began to realize that, that ministry is a calling. And that's how I felt God's call on my life was through ministry and realizing that God could use me in the life of others. Uh, as I've been in pastoral ministry now for over 30 years, I've realized that every minister has priorities. And they're not always the same. Some certainly would be the same, but every ministry has priorities. I think every church has priorities. I think every church has a niche that God has called them to and led them to. And so as we talk about priorities in ministry, I, I, I just share with you mine. My very simply has been to, to know Christ and to make him known. I stole that from the navigators, but to know Christ and to make him known. Another one of my priorities over the years has always been my family. Uh, God blessed me with the best helpmate ever and Teresa. We've been married 473 months and a few days and uh, blessed us with three wonderful children. As you know, they're all girls except two. And ministry to the family has always been a priority because my philosophy was if I failed at home, I failed in ministry. So those have been my priorities through the years. And, uh, you know, and I remind you, as the old preacher told us down in Evergreen, there are only two things in this world that last forever. That's the word of God and the souls of men. And so those certainly, the word of God and the souls of men have to be priority, priorities in ministry. But in Mark chapter three, we see Jesus doing his ministry. And I think we see three things that are real important when it comes to what we should be doing in ministry. In chapter three, verse seven, Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and also from Judea and from Jerusalem and from Idumea and beyond the Jordan and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. A great number of people heard of all that he was doing and came to him. Verse nine, and he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the crowd. And so that they would not crowd him for he had healed many with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, 
You are the son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. We have a scene here that really is hard to describe, but I'm going to do that or try to do that a little later in the message. But it's a scene that disturbed the Pharisees. It's a scene that disturbed the religious crowd of that day. Now, they were already upset with Jesus because Jesus had done several things that were out of their box. Thank you, Lanny Holbrook, for being our box this morning. But, you know, we all have a religious box, things that God can and cannot do. And so Jesus came doing some things that they were uncomfortable with. Uh, he had forgiven a man of his sins, and he went on to heal that man. The Pharisees who does he, said, who, do he th- who does he think he is? No one can do that. Jesus had called a tax collector, a tax collector. We talked about the level of society that tax collectors were on. They were below the scum of the earth. A tax collector, he called him to be one of his followers. And later he went to the same tax collector's home and he had a party there with the tax collectors and other sinners. The Pharisees said, you just can't do that. Good religious people don't do that. Jesus and his disciples were called out by the religious crowd because they didn't fast like you're supposed to fast. They were called out for that. Jesus, last week, Pastor Colby taught us how His disciples picked grain. They were walking through the fields, just grabbing a handful of grain and eating them, but it was on the Sabbath. And Jesus went on and he healed a man of a withered hand on the Sabbath. So several of these things, as we see in the gospel of Mark, have been kind of adding up in the eyes of the Pharisees. But when Jesus, in their eyes, disrespected the Sabbath, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Look at chapter three, verse six. This is when they get really serious. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians or Romans, their enemy, against him as to how they might destroy him. So when Jesus abused the Sabbath in their eyes, when Jesus did not have reverence for the Sabbath, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. They're so angry now, they want to destroy him. But Jesus has come with a different kingdom. Jesus has come to usher in a new kingdom. And when something new comes along, it greatly disturbs the old. We know that. The religious Pharisees, their same old, same old, had been shaking up. And people were now being drawn to Jesus by the droves. He'd started a new movement. He was drawing large crowds to himself. And here was their problem along with many. None of this was happening in the synagogue. You can't have worship outside of the church. Nothing good can happen outside the church. So they were upset by that. Jesus had this crowd at the beach, (laughs) at the beach. And that's where ministry was happening. The synagogue was where it was supposed to happen. But the kingdom of God had come to the beach on the shore of Galilee, one of the most unexpected places. What we see here and continue to see is church, we can't put the grace of God in a neat package for the select few. His kingdom cannot be programmed or regulated. Ministry occurs where people are hurting and needy. That's where ministry takes place. So let's look at the priorities of Jesus. The first thing we see is the priority of preaching. The priority of preaching. We just read verses seven through 10 and we didn't see that there, but let's go back to chapter one. Turn with me a couple pages back to chapter one. And it gives us the context for why Jesus did what he did. 
It gives us the reason why Jesus was on that beach. Mark chapter one, verse 38. He said to them, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. Why did Jesus travel? To preach, to preach. He said, why did he come? That's what I came for. I came to preach. He came to proclaim the good news, to turn the hearts of the people to the kingdom of God. He came with a message that was different. He came preaching and teaching the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. He came to preach. Now he did the healing out of compassion for the people. But his primary ministry, he said, that's what I came to do. I came to preach. But he healed out of the compassion of his heart. He also healed for another reason. These were, as the gospel of John says, these were what we call attesting miracles. In other words, the healing, the miracles that Jesus did gave credibility to him and to his message. So that's why he was healing. But I want you to know, church, his main priority was to preach the gospel. Now, I'm not so sure the people were coming to hear him preach. I think they were coming because they needed healing. Some of them came because of they, they needed healing in their own bodies. Other people, like many of us, would go, we just, hey, I want to watch this guy do it. How does he do it? And so he began to draw big crowds. Healing drew the crowds. But preaching was a ministry priority of Jesus. Don't you know today that Good works and food and clothes and miracles can draw crowds today, but the gospel changes lives. Let's don't ever forget that. It's the gospel that changes lives. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Jesus said it, I mean, Mark said in chapter one, verse 14, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Church, don't miss the message. Don't miss the priority of why Jesus came. He came to preach. He came to teach. That was his message. See, the message of the gospel is the heart of true ministry. Whatever we do ministry-wise is so that we can get the message of the gospel to the people. If we do good works without the message, it's all just good works. Recently, a church member came to me with a, with a question. She, it was really a problem. She was part of a good ministry, doing good things. And there was another so-called church. It was a denomination that does not believe in Christ alone for salvation. But they wanted to join with this organization or her organization and help them do a good work here in the community. So the temptation was, let's compromise the gospel. Let's compromise the message so that we can have more people to help us do good things. That's a compromise that the church faces in many different forms. And I want to remind you today as a church of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've got to be true to the message. We never compromise the message of the gospel. We do good works, yes, to give us a platform to share the gospel, the good news of the gospel. The temptation was to compromise the message to do more work. May it never be. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Preaching the message of the gospel 
is the priority of ministry. Everything we do is to have an open door to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we see that, the priority of preaching. Secondly, we see the priority of people in need. We just read verses seven through 10, and it's interesting that verse seven begins with Jesus withdrawing. In Mark's gospel, Jesus withdraws on 11 different occasions. He withdrew. Now, most of the time when Jesus would withdraw, like Mark 135, he went out early in the morning, was alone, was praying there. Most of the time he went by himself. Sometimes when Jesus would withdraw, he would withdraw with his disciples. And that's the case here. We see in verse seven, he withdrew to the sea with his disciples, but there was only one problem. The crowds followed. The crowds followed. Now, Mark goes to great lengths, I think, to tell us two things we need to know about this crowd, okay? First of all, it was a big crowd. It was a big crowd. Look at verse seven. A great multitude from Galilee. Verse eight, it was a great number of people. Verse 10 says they were pressing all around him so that they might get the opportunity to touch him. They just wanted to touch his garment. You know, Jesus could heal, we know that, heal the woman of hemorrhage, hemorrhaging just by touching. So there's this great crowd pressed around him. I mean, it was huge. It was a growing crowd because he was doing miracles. He was casting out demons. And as I said, these, these signs and uh, miracles were important. Nicodemus said this in John 3, Rabbi, he came to him by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What's Nicodemus saying? You got my attention. You must be from God. These signs, and John would later write in his gospel, or chapter three, verse 30. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these signs have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. So John says the reason Jesus did the miracles is so that you could believe. They got the people's attention so that we could know that he was the son of God. So these people were coming in masses, in, in great numbers to see Jesus. They pressed around him in order to touch him. Because of the crowd, Jesus said, hey guys, it may be a good idea to have a boat ready. Because if they keep pushing me toward the beach, I got to have somewhere. To, so I'm going to get in the boat. Look at chapter four, verse one. This is a little later. But he began to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. So this is what happens in chapter three. He said, get the boat ready. That's where we're going because the crowds are massive. They're massive. Mark wants us to know that the crowds were large. The second thing he wants us to know is that these crowds came a great distance. They came from a great distance. These people came from all around. They came from all over Palestine, Jew and Gentile. Why? He can cast out demons. He can heal the sick. News traveled quickly. The word spread and many people came from many regions. They came to hear Jesus. They came to see the miracles 
and they came to be healed themselves. It really is amazing that his fame spread so quickly without modern communication. But what we're talking about here is a large region from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea. They were regions to the south and far from Galilee. The regions beyond the Jordan actually were outside of what we would call Palestine today. Tyre and Sidon, they were the northernmost parts of that region. So Mark wants us to know that people came to see and hear Jesus. They came from the north. They came from the south. They came from the east. They came from the west. Because Jesus was doing great things. This man is amazing. So the crowds flocked to him. The crowds were pressing into him. They were aggressive. They pressed around him in order to touch him. Let me tell you this. We've got to get a mental picture here. I think of a mob is what we're talking about. This crowd was close to becoming a mob. That's why Jesus said, get the boat ready. You see, these were desperate people doing desperate things. Notice how Mark said in verse 10, and there were those who had afflictions. They pressed around him. Now, I don't want to get too technical here, but a little Bible dictionary gives us a lot of insight. These afflictions were the sick, the afflicted, the plagued, the seriously ill, those who suffered from the scourge of distressing bodily disease. Now, church, think with me. Multitudes, I'm going to say hundreds, if not thousands of people, pressing in to touch Jesus on that beach, the afflicted, the scourge of terrible body, bodily diseases, the sick, the afflicted. It was not a pretty picture. I was reminded of a story I read years ago by David Nasser in his book, A Call to Die. Many of our men have gone through that book. But Nasser writes about the sick and the afflicted, the very people described here. Nasser writes about how Mother Teresa ministered to those people. She's kind of, she had a home in Calcutta, India called the House of the Dying. Each day, the staff would walk the streets of Calcutta looking for people dying on the street and bring them in to the house of the dying. 70% of the homeless population in Calcutta suffers from tuberculosis. When you walk down the street, you see old men and women coughing up their lungs. These only had days to live. There was no curing these people. The goal was to give them a place to die with dignity. Upon arrival at the house, their heads were shaved and they were given a shower and a bowl of hot food. Their ragged soil clothes were replaced with clean ones. Lepers also came in regularly to the house of the dying with their flesh rotting, their noses, their fingers and toes missing. Their clothes had the stench of rotted flesh. They too were bathed and given clean clothes. Children came to the house of the dying. Most of these children were infected by AIDS. Usually little girls about four or five years old. They were brought in from the streets and they were housed there crying and screaming until they died. One staffer said, we prayed the crying wouldn't stop because their crying meant they were still alive. 
lepers, children with AIDS, men and women with terminal diseases. That's a pretty good picture of what this crowd looked like. Pressing into Jesus, let us touch him. Pressing in to hear him, pressing in so that they might be healed. Pressing in. That's what Jesus was confronted with that day on that beach. Not a very pretty picture. According to Luke and Mark's, I mean, according to Matthew and Luke's gospel account, in just a few days, Jesus would move from that beach and move up on a mountainside. And Teresa and I were there in 2014, where you'll see Jesus preached what we call the Sermon on the Mount. We sat there with Dan Habril and Katie, and we sat there on that hillside, the very hillside where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a beautiful place, very serene, very pastoral, looking out toward Galilee, a beautiful place. But don't you know, church, that beach was ugly. That beach was nasty. That beach was filled with dirty people trying to touch Jesus. Their flesh rotted. Their lungs, their body aching, hurting, afflicted. That scene was not pastoral. It was not beautiful. Jesus came to teach. Jesus came to heal. Notice also who else came to see Jesus. Verse 11. Said whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, you are the son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. Mark wants us to know that along with the afflicted, that the demon possessed came. Now, don't you know, in 30 years, I've never had a lot of dealings with people who were demon possessed. There are a couple people I thought they were. They acted like it. But these were real people possessed by demons. And what were they doing? In the midst of all the chaos and the turmoil and the bedlam of all the sick people, there were these demon-possessed people right there on the beach. And what were they doing? They were crying out and falling down. Crying out and falling down. They were crying out. And the word there is a continuous action. They kept on crying out with their loud, demonic voices, horrifying screams, troubling disturbing voices. That's a baby. But this are, these were demons, okay? John Daniel, thank you for, for contributing. But it was louder than that. And it was a lot more terrible than that, okay? But do you hear it? And don't listen. To that. These were demonic screams, okay? Crying out. If I could use the term blood-curdling screams. You are the son of God. Continuous, horrible sounding. And they kept on falling down. They knew that Jesus was the son of God, but that was not something Jesus wanted everybody to know. His hour had not come. So preaching the gospel is a priority of ministry. Meeting the needs of the needy is a priority of ministry. In church, meeting the needs of needy people is ugly. It can cause all of us to get dirty. It should cause all of us to get out of our comfort zone to go where people are, to do the things that people need so that we can share the message of the gospel, meeting the needs of the, of the needy. Then thirdly, we have in verses 13 through 19, what I'm calling the priority of a plan to reach the world. And he went up on the mountain, verse 13, and he summoned those whom he, he, whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, 
so that they would be with him and he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons and to have authority to cast out the demons. And he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter and James, the son of Zebedee and John, the brother of James. To them, he gave the name of Bornerges, which means sons of thunder. And that Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas who betrayed him. Jesus goes up and he calls 12 men to be with him. He calls 12 men to be sent out to preach the gospel. He calls 12 men to be given authority. These are what we would call the 12 disciples, but in reality, Jesus had many disciples. A little later on in Luke's gospel, Luke 10, he would send out 72 disciples on a mission trip. But these men were different. These men were called by Jesus, the 12, as we would call them, the 12 apostles. And you think about the number 12, that should be significant. To the Jewish mind, that was the number of administrative perfection. There were 12 tribes of Israel. In Revelation 21, we see that the names of the 12 apostles will be engraved on the 12 foundations of the new Jerusalem. So let me tell you, this, what happens here on this mountain is very significant. These men are very special. They're going to be trained by Jesus. They're going to be with him. They're going to be sent out by Jesus to proclaim the gospel. But they're going to be given authority by Jesus to carry on the work of the church, even in light of demonic attack. So these 12 are special. He called them to be with him, to be with him. So they were called. They heard Jesus speak in a variety of situations. They watched Jesus minister to children. They watched Jesus in all facets of ministry. They learned from Jesus. See, this is the plan. This is God's plan for building his kingdom. Today, we call that discipleship. People who want to be with Jesus. People who want to grow in Jesus. People who want to be used by Jesus to make a difference in the world. So Jesus called these 12 men to be with him. In his book called The Master Plan of Evangelism, Robert Coleman says, men were to be his method of winning the world to God. Men. His concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. Jesus called 12 men to be with him. Paul did the same thing, and we see this in 2 Timothy. Paul told Timothy, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach, to teach others also. Paul taught Timothy, who taught faithful men who would teach others also. Church, that's why we are here today, because of God's master plan to reach the world through discipleship. Discipleship begins with Jesus, knowing him, abiding in Christ, being with him. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. No thing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Discipleship begins with being with Jesus. We've, been, we've all, as believers, have been called to be his disciples. Have you ever thought about yourself in those terms? It begins by being to know Jesus, to be with him, and then to be sent out by him. Their mission was to preach. 
Their mission specifically was to make a public proclamation of the gospel of God. They had a mission field. Church, I want to remind you this morning, you and I, we all have a mission field. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. You're to be with Christ. You're to have opportunities to share the gospel wherever you are. We're sent out to share the gospel. We're sent out to make disciples. That's the ministry of every believer. Then he gave authority to minister. Authority. And it's interesting, this was a delegated authority. It would not be their power, but God's power that would be on display through them. God didn't say, I'm going to make you powerful people. No, he said, I'm going to give you my power. My power will work in you. My power will work through you. That's the authority that the apostles had. They would speak the word and God's power would do the work. All they were able to do, they did in the name of Jesus. The church would be attacked by spiritual forces. Could the church withstand demonic attack? Could the church withstand evil forces? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, Paul said, but against spiritual forces, wickedness in the high places. Can we do that? Yes, because we have the authority of God's word. We have the authority of the presence of Christ in our life, in our heart, the spirit of Christ himself, the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus gave to these men and their followers the authority of his word, the church survives. We're here today because of these men. These were the 12 men who preached the gospel. These are the 12 men who recorded the gospel. These are the 12 men that Jesus prayed for. And listen to me, this was so exciting to me when I learned this years ago. But when Jesus prayed for the disciples, the apostles, he prayed for you and he prayed for me. In John 17, listen to this. He says, for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Church, that's why we're here today. Because of the word, the preaching of the apostles. The early church called it apostolic authority, but they established the church. The church was established. The church was sustained through the preaching and teaching of the apostles and the recorded word of God. And so Jesus said, I'm going to pray for these guys and not only them, but I'm going to pray for everyone who believes in me because of them. Jesus prayed for you. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel pretty good, pretty special. Jesus prayed for me. Today, God's plan for ministry is still the same. We must all be faithful to the message. Proclaiming the gospel is the heart of ministry. We may change our methods, but we never change our message. Today, we must all be ready to meet the needs of needy people. We studied this in the book of James. Meeting needs, however, provides a platform to share the message. It's all about the message. We're called, all of us, to be his disciples. As disciples, disciples spend time with Jesus. Church, let me urge you, let me beg you. Paul, Peter said this, how can a young, uh, says, um, what did he say? He said that we, apart from God's word, we cannot grow in our relationship with God. We cannot grow in our faith apart from God. As a newborn baby, there it comes. As a newborn baby, 
like little John Daniel. God bless him. As a newborn babe, we should desire the sincere milk of the word that by it we may grow in respect to salvation. Disciples spend time with Jesus in his word. Disciples share the good news. You know, you don't have to be a theologian or scholar. Just tell people what Jesus has done in your life. That's what disciples do. Disciples speak with the authority of Jesus. And this is exciting to me. When I, when I was in Sylacauga, I used to take the kids to school in the morning. And when they were in middle school age, uh, KJ and Katie were the same school. And I'd drive up and there was a little elderly grandmother who worked as a crossing guard. This lady was probably in her 80s. She didn't weigh much over 100 pounds. But you know what? There could be a 40-ton, 18-wheeler coming down that street, and she could stop that truck on a dime. I mean, it was amazing. A little 100-pound grandmother stopping an 18-wheeler. How'd she do that? All she did was step out front and raise her little sign. And that truck came to a screeching halt. That little lady had the authority of the Sylacauga school system the county of Talladega, the state of Alabama, and the U.S. government all behind her and her little red sign. Not very impressive, but very effective. Very effective. Church, we have the authority of the Word of God behind us. We have the authority of God's Word to go make disciples, to live on mission. To know God, find community, and live on mission. Today, Jesus may be calling you into a deeper relationship with him or maybe a first relationship. Maybe you've never trusted Christ. The good news of the gospel is that you can be forgiven. Christ died for your sin once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he can bring us to God and have a relationship with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the good news of the gospel, that you love us, that you've called us to yourself, to be with you, and you've sent us out to proclaim the good news of the gospel to others. What a privilege. What a ministry. Father, I thank you for a church who does exactly that. A church who's faithful to preach your word. A church who's faithful to minister to the needs of people. A church who's faithful to disciple men and women, boys and girls, that they might grow in their relationship with you. Father, as we respond to your message this morning, prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. Prepare our hearts to be right with you. In Jesus' name, amen.